Welcome to Pod Academy. And our series with the Pitt Rivers Museum at the University of Oxford. listening to the sound of the Bayaka people of the Central African Republic. Specifically, a collection of recordings made by Louis Sarno. In other programmes, we've looked at various aspects of ethnomusicology and the value of ethnographic sound archives. Here, we're taking an in-depth look at a single collection of sounds and through it, tell some of the story of the Bayaka people. Guiding us through this podcast is Noel Lobley from Pitt Rivers. I'm Joe Barrett, and the interviewer is social anthropologist Sarah Winkler-Reed from the University of Bristol, who has worked with me on this series. Here's Noel to introduce us to the man who made these recordings. Luciano is a, um, a guy from New Jersey who fell in love with um, Bayaka music, Bayaka music from the rainforest of the Central African Republic and Northern Congo, bought himself a one-way ticket, a tape player, some batteries and spare tapes, disappeared out there to go and record the music and more or less never came back. Became part of the community and during the process of the last 30-odd years has, has made the world's most important collection of Bayaka music. It's, it's about, currently stands at about 1,500 hours and he's recorded the entire range of music making of a single hunter-gatherer community. It has mapped its relationship to the forest environment as well. Went from really becoming a, a recorder to something a little different. He's become an advocate, mobilises healthcare, basically lives with the community permanently, but continues to document it. Bayaka singing is, is quite well known. It's been looked at and studied by people. The instrumentation has not been looked at as much. Amongst the community he's been living with was this beautiful four-note flute um, called an mbyo, M-B-Y-O, or sometimes Mobio. It's basically made from a, a climbing palm. Musicians, normally solo, normally one person, play this flute for many reasons, entertainment or something like this, but quite often it's played at night when the rest of the camp are asleep. And musicians might wander around and it's partly played to enter your dreams. And if you think about this, if you're asleep in the camp in the rainforest and this, this music is, is echoing around the canopy, the forest is sometimes described as being like a cathedral because of the way it resonates. And a musician might just play at night um, for, for, for benediction, for protection, for the camp. Very, very beautiful, beautiful instrument. When you listen to it carefully, bearing in mind that Lewis has recorded it in its context, so its relationship to the rainforest acoustic and environment, um, when you listen carefully, you can sometimes hear um, musicians play um, against the canopy. So the overtones that begin to emerge, they, sometimes, they weave in and out of the musicians playing. So sometimes it sounds like two people singing perfectly together. 
you can hear the forest soundscape, you can hear the insects, which will tell you if it's a heavy insect, if it's a heavy sheet of insects, it's likely to be late at night or very early in the morning. Sometimes you, you can pick out a pulse in that kind of sheet of insects that musicians are playing with. You can you can sometimes hear that they're obviously playing to a rhythmical structure that's that's in the forest. The music is very much of the forest and a gift for the forest. Most of these instruments are, 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 are our forest materials. Music in the forest and people in camps is made by what, whatever's to hand. So the percussion will be on pots and pans, bodies, drums, the earth. It sounds to me very much like an exploration of the acoustic properties of the forest. In this community here, it's it's just not played anymore. Time Lewis has been there. There were three master musicians, um, and the, they all died these elder musicians and the last player to, to play this and knew how to make them gave a flute to Lewis to look after and Lewis says that he is the he, he never hears it played anymore <coughs> well, nobody knows how to build it which particular palm it comes from anymore which particular vine he'd been looking after the, the last flute this last bio from the community in and around Yandumbe and that flute was on its way to us. In, I think it was April earlier this year, there's basically been a coup d'etat in the Central African Republic. Um, Seleka rebels have, have overthrown the government. You know, Pre- President Bozize has fled. Rebels have overtaken the capital. In about April last year, um, Lewis posted from the Central African Republic on Facebook. He has very intermittent access to internet via the WWF that the, the Bayaka community he lived with, who lived part of the year in, in, in a camps in Yandumbe, in a settlement, and then the rest of the year they, they move into the forest to hunt, to gather for ceremonies, whatever. They were forced to flee back into the forest because rebels had overrun the town they were living in and um, came looking for money, came looking for whatever, and um, targeted Lewis's house because they believed that he was wealthy, he's an American, he was perceived to have wealth, and he hasn't. He lives hand-to-mouth and basically destroyed his house, destroyed everything they could find, including the last flute. I wouldn't want to pretend that a sound archive can solve political instability in the Central African Republic, but it's obvious that an archival record of something as beautiful as this bio um, becomes more and more important. Why weren't the master um, musicians being replaced? His take on it is that there's, just, there's a very laissez-faire attitude towards music-making. Nobody gets told to play the mbio. Nobody gets told to play the guitar. Nobody gets told to do this. It's like, if you're interested and if you want to study it, then you do it. If not, it's fine. Perhaps it wasn't interesting the children as much. Um, or um, I, I don't really know why, to be honest. I, I can only speculate that, that it, it, its function changes within a community. And if children aren't picking it up, it's not going to continue. The last three master musicians died and, and that lineage didn't carry on for some reason. I've actually spoken to Lewis recently about um, building another one. Um, let, let, let's find what that vine is. Let, let's, there must be someone that has... There must be someone, some way of finding this. And he said that um, he, he's going to renew his efforts to, to find out whether it can be rebuilt, whether the... Um, I mean, we have recordings, so the scale can easily be... Um, you know, it can easily, we can build one here. It won't be out of the same material. Why? I mean, his take on it, yeah, it's just there's a laissez-faire attitude. If it's meant to change, it's meant to change. Um, you talked about the coup and the Bayaka having to escape into the forest. How are things changing otherwise for the Bayaka? They're, they're a hunter-gatherer community um, and within their own country are increasingly marginalised. Their hunting pathways are, are shrinking uh, and reducing partly because of the growth of national parks and they're no longer given permits or access to hunt. Now, you know, national parks are obviously also a good thing. 
terms of conservation and things, um, it's becoming harder and harder for them to survive in the way of life that they're used to. They're increasingly reliant on uh, more indentured labour for non-Biaka communities, perhaps doing guerrilla tracking for the WWF, doing more farming for non-Biaka communities, which is obviously, you know, so becoming more sedentarised, spending less time in the forest, more time in roadside settlements. To quote Lewis, this has led to uh, um, increased alcoholism. There wasn't really a cash economy before. There, there, you know, these are common changes that, that happen in, 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 in communities like this. Um, their hunting was traditionally very sustainable. Um, it was net hunting, um, and they use these uh, handmade nets and um, hunt basically small game. They don't, they don't really hunt the gorillas and the, the elephants, the things that are protected by the WWF. Um, they don't use guns or anything like this. They, they use nets and a system of songs and sounds and symbols designed to startle the animals into the nets. And traditionally, or typically, Lewis guesses 50% of the animals escape, and it's recognised that though that's frustrating, it's sustainable. Whereas now the bushmeat trade that's coming in, and this is a lot of non-Biaka and quite often non-people, people not from the Central African Republic, but coming in from Chad and other countries, are coming in with guns and basically just blasting animals out of the forest and making it harder and harder for communities like the Biaka to survive in the way that, that they survive. Those are some tickle changes, and anyone that looks at the music will tell you that the quality of the music is dependent on access to the forest. So if access to the forest changes, the music changes, the polyphony will erode. You can actually, even in the, um, the, the, the period in which Lewis has been recorded, which is 30 years, it's a long time for a recorder to be, you know, I so say that's, that's more than a generation, isn't it? Um, you can actually hear um, the simplification of the polyphony in lots of cases. You know, smaller groups, 25 years ago, you might hear 60 women singing together in this roaring choir. In the, in the more recent recordings, that happens less and less and less because smaller communities are going in there for less time. Uh, the complexity of the singing um, um, reduces inevitably um, because that polyphony um, that's in the forest is, is about how people relate to each other in the forest and how you make a community. So you sing, for example, to ensure the success of the hunt the next day um, because you, that's how you coordinate. You know, group singing coordinates everybody. It creates a resilience, it, it kind of gets you on the same wavelength and that's what you need if you're hunting together. You can't have people distracted and, and, uh, and the singing is partly about mapping that community if you like. But Lewis says that there's more, the drumming styles are becoming more complicated though. He said there's more, there's, there are newer styles of drumming that the teenagers are developing because they're, you know, they're, they're by the roads more. And, um, so there, there, are, there are new forms emerging, you know, it's not just a, a, a simple process of erosion. So is the narrative um, quality of the um, music changing as well as the um, sonic changes and then the instrument changes? Um, some of the music is, is not narrative music, um, but some of it is. It's, it's called Gano, G-A-N-O, and they, those are, they're, they're sung fables. 
They're basically stories that move from storytelling into song and then back into storytelling, and which have a clear narrative to them. I don't speak the language, Nyaka. But I have some understanding of this form through him and, and following it and, and looking at what researchers have said about it. These Gano tell the story of Bayaka creation, the story of the creation of the forest as well by Kumba, God, who basically... Um, turned you know all, all the animals used to be people and then when the people did something displeased god or whatever he turned them into various animals and things like this and these stories get told by these master storytellers like there's makuti in there and um, others that have they've died gondo and people and you hear them tell these stories with exaggerated voices um about the history of bayaka communities and the history of the forest and they work in contemporary news into those stories you know you, you can you, the, they will work in events and, and gossip and things like this that's an organic form that evolves and, and so if there's been I don't know there's more gunshots now in the forest you can you wouldn't hear that 30 years ago in the recordings you, you'll hear those in, in newer recordings they will find their way into stories or if somebody has been put in prison for I don't know, shooting and killing an elephant or something. These these narratives do change. It's like they're not just archaic um, uh, representations of the past. They're they're all. It's, it's, this is an oral storytelling culture. Inevitably, it's going to um, blend the present with the past. And I think you can hear the changes in there and the content in there as well. Lewis is uh, always says that. Um, his long-term dream is for the Bayaka to have self-representation, for them to be able to address the rest of the world about the issues that are relevant to them. And his, his, his view of it was something like um, a blog or something hosted where they live, and then they can upload, and uh, you know, if these issues are effective, then they can present to the rest of the world. And that's what he, he, he says that's what they want. He, he says that um, this desire, to say they, they can present for themselves their, their songs, their stories, their issues, rather than it being mediated through him um, or through other people. At the moment, it, it, it's inevitably mediated through a collector like him. The, the, the gidal is G-E-E-D-A-L. Yeah, it's a beautiful six-string bow harp. Um, it's typically made of uh, of local wood. Perhaps have animal skin stretched across it um, for a resonator uh, across the resonator. Six strings, occasionally seven. It's n- believed not to be an indigenous bayaka instrument, and uh, you know, gidal may even be a corruption of guitar at some point. I mean, you know, there's there's been some speculation of this. But um, it's still used and played a lot amongst the Bayaka community that Lewis lives with. Yeah, so basically it's a stringed instrument, and musicians play variations, and they might play all night. And you can hear these absolutely stunning variations that just continue for hours and hours and hours. Sometimes with nothing more, sometimes just the variation of the notes. It's played for for, for entertainment, for pleasure, and also, again, like uh, musicians might wander around and play at night while the camp sleep, again, as a sort of layer of protection and uh, um, salvation um, for, for, for the sleeping camp. Um, so that, that's the gidal, yeah, it's, the, um, it's, it's a bow harp, um, um, a handmade bow harp, which is still played quite a lot amongst the communities. <laughs>
When you listen to the recording, it's so full of life and humour and laughter. Just uh, you can hear there's Balognona in here, is the player and the master player and a master storyteller. And the guy that's kind of is Zalogway. Is this? He's grabbing the microphone and pretending he's a pop star and addressing Bangi, the capital. And he's hello, hello, Bangi, and he's uh, he's on radio. He's he, he's he, he's presenting the Bayaka to, to 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 the capital here. That they go in and out of songs. There's a song in here called Bonane, which is one of Balognona's songs where he sings about an, an event, a party, a New Year's Eve party or something that didn't quite happen because he didn't have enough money for beer. And this became a famous story that gets recycled through other stories and things. When we arranged to digitise the whole collection, which was a thousand hours to begin with and is now 1,500 hours in its current state, we didn't really know what condition the collection was in. It's been in the, it's been in the, it's been in the rainforests for quite a while and it's been stored under a bed and, and then in a suitcase in, an, in a storage room off North Fox. We didn't really know... These are not ideal conditions for looking after tapes, particularly humid places like the rainforest. And so the, the first batch of recordings, this was well over a year ago, and this was the first clip that I heard. You know, I've been waiting for a long time to hear these recordings, and, and the quality was superb, absolutely superb, and the music was superb. And I was so excited, I was just running all up and down the museum telling everyone, they're superb, they're absolutely superb, we knew the collection, we knew the quality was good and the music was good. From our perspective, it was the beginnings of really pulling these recordings out of storage into, into and then hearing the life that's in them, and I think, uh, well, this is one of the liveliest recordings I've heard, there's so much life in there, there's so much, so much fun and life... And, he, wanted, he didn't want the tame sessions that people do for microphones for academics that say, OK, can you now demonstrate me this part or something like this? He wanted almost the, the, he wanted a snapshot of music that would be happening if he wasn't recording. So I think there's something of what he's beginning to look for. And this is one of the, not the first thing, but this is one of the earliest recordings he made. He went there in 1985, this was 1986. These are right towards the beginning. Um, of this collection that was going to emerge into an amazing record of, of Bayaka music and life. So do the women and the men tend to make music separately? Any, any collector, any recorder is an editor. Okay, they've got their own biases, they've got their own decisions about what they think is important, and that's the importance of them working on collections like this. So as you know what's missing, you know what biases and prejudices have been explored or something like this. Lewis, is, his real heart is in the women's polyphony, which is absolutely majestic. You know? And most of the choral singing, if you like, the, the polyphonic singing, it's mainly the women that do that. So in these recordings where there are hundreds of hours of these polyphonic songs, it, it's mainly women. The instrumentation is normally the men. So the guidal, the mbio, um, the percussion. But you do hear men singing with the choirs, as I say, and sometimes choirs are quite nicely blended. When there are these polyphonic songs, there are um, ceremonies that go with them and spirits that come out at night sometimes. Sometimes these spirits are dressed as leaves, sometimes they glow in the dark. There are certain clear roles that define who the spirits are. There are men's spirits and female spirits. There's a women's genre a song called Lingboku, which is a celebration of female power. It's a celebration of um, female sexuality. Uh, men are not allowed to sing it. Men are not really allowed to hear it. 
and it has its own spirit. It's this kind of hooting sound. Um, again, dozens of hours of recordings. There's a playlist on the website of these Lingboku. And to, to quote Lewis, the men don't like this. Because these songs, they mock male impotence. They, they, they celebrate how the men are useless. Sorry, they celebrate how the women do everything. We are powerful, we are sexual, and the men are limp. And, and, and uh, the men don't want to hear this. And they try and spark up other songs um, in response to it, or, or, or move or leave. There's a clear gender division there. Yeah, and I suppose there's, there's certain labour divisions as well, you know, in, in terms of who hunts, who gathers, who does who collects honey, things like that. And I suppose that is reflected in some way, and it, of course it's reflected in the expression. Men have a comparable song to the women's power song. There are, there, there, there's lots of different genres, and Lewis has recorded them all. There's So, um, which is spelled S-O, um, which is a, is, is a comparable form, which is a, a male song form where the men will get together and sing masculine songs, if you like, uh, and, and explore who they are and things like this. There is um, a very, very common ceremony it's called a jengi, a spirit called a jengi, E-G-E-N-G-I. Beautiful spirit um, that's dressed from head to toe in this raffia sort of palms. And when, when he dances, when this spirit dances, it looks like cascading waterfalls and... Um, that's a male initiation dance, amongst other things. And there is a belief there that the Ajengi spirit is, is a phallic spirit. It's, it's, a, fear, it's a spirit, that because it's about male initiation from boyhood in, into malehood. So I would imagine, that, that, but I mean, I couldn't speak of authority on this, so I'd imagine that, that um, those songs are within that in some way. When you talk about spirits, what do you mean in this context by that? The spiritual realm is obviously a realm and a very, very important realm. Um, and there are some things that are not supposed to be said. Basically, uh, a lot of the music um, is designed to call out forest spirits. The, forest, the music is, is a gift for the forest. Um, it's um, a celebration of the forest. The fo you know, the forest has a god. Um, and lots of the music is designed to, yeah, is, is to call the spirits out and make them dance. Uh, and that won't happen unless certain conditions are achieved. And so in the Boyobi, which is a ceremony um, for the net hunt, most commonly, um, to, to simplify, the, the, the group singing, the drumming, the singing is designed to ensure that there will be a successful hunt the next day. And that needs coordination, it needs rhythmic power, it needs singing power. It needs, um, it needs people to sing and drum well. If the spirits are happy, they will emerge from the forest and they will communicate with the group. Um, they have these very distinct kind of, they speak in archaic language, and they have this kind of, <coughs> kind of like, um, sometimes falsetto, sometimes it sounds like they're admonishing. A very curious kind of sound. Um, and those would be heard more than they would be seen. 
they will, in many ways, they conduct the group. They will, you hear a lot of call and response. You hear the group go, and then the drumming stops, sorry, the drumming stops, and you hear a call and response between the spirits and the group. It's, it's designed to bring people together. And I think you can hear it. It would be wrong to say who the spirits are. I've been advised this by the anthropologists. Uh, it, it's wrong to... Um, the, um, they, they occupy a, a particular realm and function within the community. At the moment, the music and the culture and what... What do you see going into the future? The collection that Lewis has made here, um, this record of the entire range of music making of a single community hunter-gatherers across more than a generation, obviously maps musical and social change. There are a lot of social issues that are affecting um, this biker community, as many other communities as well. So this is one community that have been privileged, if you like, by a recorder. You know, but there are other Baka communities, there are other communities that experience the same issues. At the moment, the whole country is in turmoil, um, so um, it's, it's a difficult time for all the Baka are, are retreated into the forest. There are various health cares workers and NGOs and people like this that do work with the communities. These type of social issues, I think it's really important to raise awareness of these, and I think um, if a sound archive or if a collection just presents a picture of the way things were, it can be quite idealised sometimes, and I'm sure that there's a way to link a collection that's as important as this with contemporary realities. It's easy to raise awareness here um, in this country through the type of events in the Pit Rivers or elsewhere or something like this. Um, there's there's an, a big art exhibition going to be, where is it, in somewhere, I think it's in Holland by a, uh, a billionaireess and she wants some of these recordings, you know, because she's showing images of Bayaka. And, so it's, it's easy to do those kind of things to raise awareness um, internationally, if you like, and then perhaps mobilise resources to, to reflect what's happening to a community today. Um, I think the most important thing is to listen to the Bayaka and, and um, what's important to them. The Pit Rivers is very strong in its relationships with its, for want of a better word, source communities. And what interests me is how you do that through sound, you know, how you share the sound and how you share resources and, and how you reflect a contemporary reality through um, a historical record. The Ajengi we mentioned, the, the, the initiation dance, when Lewis was here he selected particular recordings he wanted to take back. The archive is not with them anymore, there's not really many ways of playing it. Um, he has a CD player, a few people have phones, but he took back certain recordings. He, he identified some Ijengi recordings recorded over the border in northern Congo where the Ijengi was very um, vibrant. I took them back on CDRs and within two months, uh, two months later I had an email saying they'd been played to death absolutely played to death, um, had led to a renewed vigour in the Ajengi where they are, including a re-performance of certain stages that had dropped out because they'd forgotten or went, you know, or it changed. And then people started coming from other areas to watch the Ajengi here. Again, so the, some recordings going back has, has begun to trigger some things again. Yeah, what interests me is how you use a record like this to, to reflect contemporary, the things that we talked about with the, the destruction of the flute, what's happening in the country... The sound archive might be one way of mobilising resources um, and, a, and a community that they're interested. This Pod Academy programme is part of a series looking into ethnomusicology and the work of the Real to Real project at the Pitt Rivers Museum. On podacademy.org you can access the other podcasts in the series as well as the museum and project websites. <clears throat>
including direct links to all of the Bayaka music featured. <laughs>